0: We are continuing our journey here this morning through the book of James. This is a book that we'll be walking through verse by verse. It'll probably take us to the end of this summer. And I'm excited to continue this journey with you as I've mentioned each week as we've opened up God's Word is that James is probably the most practical book in the New Testament. For those that say, I don't understand the Bible, one of the first books I would say to read is read the book of James. Because everything James says is in plain sight for us to see. Alright, as we'll read here today, I don't think there's anything that we're going to read in the passage here today that anyone in this room cannot understand. But again, I say this every week, and I'll say it again for those who are visiting for the first time, as with most things in the Christian life, it is simple, but it is not easy. For the most part, I think when we look at the greatest problems of our lives, we don't, we're not struggling to know the solution. We're struggling to surrender to the solution. I think that's one of the great problems that we struggle with. And as we continue on in this journey, we're we're getting towards the end of chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 19-21 through here this morning. In the next two weeks, starting this week and next week, we're going to be contrasting the idea of hearing and then obeying the Word of God. Hearing what it is that God wants to tell us and then obeying what it is that He tells us. And so here this morning, the title of our message is One Who Hears God's Word. And I want to start by asking you something to think about. A question here, very simple. Do you struggle to hear God? Do you struggle to hear God? If you do struggle to hear God, you're in good company because I've never met a Christian who doesn't in some capacity. Uh, we long to hear from our Lord, and there are sweet times in which we do, but I think a lot of us often struggle at some point in our lives to hear God. Well, how is it that God speaks to us? This is a question that we ask ourselves over and over and over again. I remember several years ago, well, I was still the youth pastor here. I don't know if you remember this, Nikki, when we had our Sunday school class, one of the, we spent like, I don't know, 10, 12 weeks going over, uh, hearing God's voice. How it is that God speaks to us? And, and, and we go, you remember that, Jim? We, we went through that, and it was, It was a great study, but still we struggle. I mean, the the way that we talk about in which God speaks to us, He speaks to us through prayer, through the Holy Spirit. When we pray to the Lord and we hear that inner voice and sometimes we struggle to know if it's our voice or if it's God's voice, it's the Holy Spirit that begins to convict us and to speak to us. I believe God also speaks through other people. Have you ever had someone speak to you and they walk away and you say, wow, that was a divine appointment. God wanted to say something and He got His message across through His messenger. That's why I stand up and preach I'm asking God to use me as an instrument of His will that I may speak to His people, letting God use me that the words are His, the message is His. But I have to say this, and most of you would probably agree with me, even though practically speaking, we don't always surrender to this, the number one way in which God speaks to His people is through His written Word. It is God's fresh breath. And when someone says to me, I never hear God speak, my immediate question is, how often are you reading God's Word? God wants to speak to you. And through the Spirit and the Word, as they interact together, God's got a message for you. But we have to stop and we have to listen for God to speak. So why is it so hard to listen Well, I believe there's a single word that as Americans in 2017, we struggle with, and that word is silence. We have gotten ourselves into one busy mess. We struggle for silence. Now, I know when I introduced a new part of our worship service, when we have time of personal reflection and confession, I believe during that moment of silence, everybody in this room is responding in a different way. It is my prayer that you would consciously think, God, is there something that I've said or thought or done that was inappropriate or sinful this week? Could you forgive me of those things? That's my prayer that we're asking, but I can say one thing. There are some in this room who struggle when we get into silence. It's uncomfortable. You want that that 10 or 20 seconds of silence we have to end. You don't want any part of it. Because when we're silent, we have to face things that otherwise we can ignore when we're running away from them. And when we're running from anything, it's awful hard to hear God speak. It's hard. So, before I go on to the big idea, I want to read this quote. It's from one of the great philosophers, Soren Kierkegaard. And here's what he said. He said, If I could prescribe just one remedy for all the ills of the modern world, I would prescribe silence. For even if the Word of God were proclaimed in the modern world, no one would hear it. There's too much noise. Therefore, create silence. That's one reason why before we ever sing a word during our service, I lead us into silence before Jody leads us into song. Because there's only one way to approach God's throne of grace, and that's humbly with a heart that's surrendered and a mouth that's silent. When you're silent before God and you want to hear him speak, you will. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. So what's the big idea? What do I want us to see as we walk through this passage in James chapter one, verses 19 through 21? Here's what I want us to see. Put these words on your heart. Hearers of the word are intentional about what they do and don't do when listening for God's voice. Okay. Hearers of the Word are intentional about what they do and don't do when listening for God's voice. If you've ever been around just an amazing mature Christian who seems like they're in constant communion with God, that did not happen by accident. The most mature Christians who have who have all the fruits of the Spirit that we're going to talk about of love and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all these things that we want in our own lives, Right? That doesn't happen by accident. Much like physically, when people walk through the doors of this church who are members at a local gym and they're working out five, six days a week, you can physically see the changes in their body. Well, spiritually, those who do what God prescribes for them to do to hear His Word, when they do them, you can just sense a presence about them that there's just a maturity. There's just a a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. There's a communion with God that people who hear His voice Have and they do things intentionally to be able to hear him. So, if you have a Bible, please turn with me again to the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Okay, you will have seen that it's in page 1199 in your Pew Bible. So, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and turn to page 1199 in your Pew Bible in front of you. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, Again, we're going to be reading James chapter one, verses 19 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and we confess that we struggle to hear it. But Father, I pray that Your Word would speak loudly and our ears would be open as You speak this morning. Help us to be hearers of the Word Help us to know, Father, the things that are getting in the way of us hearing Your Word. Help us. Be with us. I pray in the moments we have remaining here this morning, Father, that You would anoint every word that comes out of my mouth that it would be Yours and not mine, that the glory would be Yours and not mine, and that we would be changed because Your Word has been proclaimed, it has been heard, and it has been put into practice in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. and God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Okay, so we're talking about hearing God's word. And as we walk through just 3 verses, I want to speak specifically to 3 things that one who hears God's word is committed to. Okay? So let's number 1, let's dive right in. Let's look at the habits of one who hears God's word, verse 19. Keep your Bible open. We'll walk through these 3 Sentences together, okay? Verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be... And then there's three things, three commands. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's start with the first one, okay? A, quick to hear. Are we people who listen first and speak second? God speaks to those who listen first before they speak. And one of the reasons why I know this is how we are wired as human beings. I know this is a cute phrase, but it has legitimate weight. All right. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a very specific reason. Okay. We are to listen twice as much as we speak. And God not only gave us two ears, He gave us ears that go in two different directions. So we are supposed to be listening and thinking and processing a lot more than we're speaking. I think a lot of people come to God's house and they want to hear God's word, but they can't, God can't get a word in edgewise because we're doing a lot more speaking than we're doing hearing. We don't have to believe everything we hear. We certainly don't need to take everything at face value. But we should listen first and test it with the Scriptures and test it according to the Spirit to know that if it comes from God, it should be obeyed. You know, I believe this. As you look through the Word of God, you will see that God speaks to us a lot more in the whispers than He does in the shouts. God speaks to us in the still, small voice. You know, again, we talked a few minutes ago about the three primary ways in which God speaks. He speaks to us in prayer. He speaks to us through other people. And He speaks to us through His written Word. How we hear Him in prayer is different for all of us. There are some who I've spoken to that have actually heard an audible voice of God speak to them. And I will say this, God can do anything He wants. It is not for me to say whether that was genuine or not genuine. Here's what I do know. Two things. Number one, most of us are never quiet enough to get to that point where God would speak to us. And number two, if He ever does, if what that voice that you're hearing is contrary to what you read in the Bible, it's not God's voice. I promise you. That, that, that The people that say, well, God told me to do this, and that this is a sin completely contrary to the Word of God, something that does not bring honor and glory to His name, that is not... God speaking to you. Because Satan doesn't need silence to speak. In fact, Satan loves chaos. He loves to speak in the midst of chaos. And you'll have thoughts in your mind that are not of God. And if we're not silent enough and patient enough to be able to listen to that voice and say, is this God or not God? We're going to be people that are just all over the place with no self-control and no direction in our lives. We've got to be quick to hear. Reading the Word of God. That's one reason that we talk about the daily reading of His Word. Let me say this about reading the Bible. I know we talk about this a lot. Reading the Bible is not necessarily I've got to do these three things so that God's happy with me today. That's not what it is. It's not some legalistic rule. I've got to do these three things and read this much and check off the box. And if I do all those three things, then I know I'm in God's good graces for these three days. And if I don't do these three things, then, then God's going to be angry with me. That's not the point. The point of reading the Bible is that you're engaging in communion with God and you're letting Him speak to you. You're letting Him speak. You're letting God Feed your soul with a word that can save you, with a word that can change you, with a word that can make you more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the reason that we read God's word. To get fed. But we gotta be ready to hear it before we respond to it with our own words. So, we're called to be quick to hear. Secondly, we're called to be slow to speak. Again, do you know the purpose of why God gave you a mouth? The primary reason that you have a mouth and a voice is to proclaim the glory of God. All right. When God created human beings in his image and then he gave you a mouth, he wanted you to respond to how awesome he is by proclaiming it every day of your life. All right. That, by the way, distinction here, that does not mean getting in people's faces and preaching at them with anger. All right. That's not proclaiming God's truth. That's just trying to be smarter than everybody else. I'm not talking about preaching at people every day. But what I am saying is seeing the things that God does that is good and proclaiming how good they are. And if you know, if you look around at the glory of God, it's in everything. And you can point something out by affirming another person, but giving God the credit for it. Have you ever thought about that? How when you affirm what other people are doing, they get pleasure from that because God is using them, but then you give God the glory for it? That's what our mouths are used for. Okay, When you see a person who's kind and loving to go up to them and say, God has really gifted you. You really have a spirit of, of kindness and love. Well, that person receives the joy of that, but God gets the credit and the glory. And that's why God gave us a mouth to proclaim His glory in the morning in the afternoon, in the evening, proclaiming the glory of God. Now, why is it that none of us in this room, myself included, spend 24 hours proclaiming the glory of God? I'm going to give you a quick answer. We're sinners. And we're not quite Jesus just yet. We're on a trajectory. We're on a a mission where God's making us more like Jesus. But at the times where I, I, I've certainly lose my temper or struggle and realize, man, I've got so much growth to do. I realize that's the same moment that I'm not exactly giving God the praise that is due his name. So we're called to be quick to listen. We're called to be slow to speak, but we're also called to be slow to anger. Now, I know we have some visiting here who were not here several months ago as we walked through the book of Jonah. We had an entire message dedicated to a godly view of anger. Let me give you just a 60-second recap if you weren't here. Anger is an emotion created by God, so anger by itself is not sinful. Okay, The Bible says doesn't say don't be angry. It says be slow to anger. But we have to We have to say, is what I'm getting angry at godly anger or not? We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But I just want to say that we get angry when we don't trust that it is God going before us to make what is wrong right. Most of the time, our anger comes when we want to stick out our chest and make things right ourselves. And when we try to take God's responsibility into our own hands, guess what? We don't hear Him. He goes silent to us. So number one, the habits of one who hears God's Word, we're quick to hear, we're slow to speak, and we're slow to become angry. That's the habits of one who hears God's Word. Before we move on to number two, let me just ask you some questions to think about yourself. Check your own heart as we're walking through the passage here. What percentage of the day would you say you spend listening versus speaking? (laughs) Stop and think about that for a minute. What percentage of the day would you say that you spend versus speaking and listening? I feel like I put him on the spot here every week because he's one of my mentors, but Papa Larry, uh, you, you said this to me in your office. Everything you say I remember, so be careful what you say because I'll repeat it behind the pulpit. But I asked Larry Guido one time, I said, Dr. Larry, if you had ten minutes, what, 10 minutes left before God called you home, what would you do? He said, I'd spend my first nine minutes listening. And then I'd spend my last minute speaking. You remember when you shared that with me? I mean, seriously, when we listen and when we're slow to anger and when we're slow to speaking and responding, we give God time to work. God wants to do work on us, but we're not quiet enough. We're not patient enough to stay surrendered before Him and to let Him do what only He can do. So number one, the habits of one who hears God's word leads us to the second thing I want us to look at, the hindrance of one who hears God's word? Look at verse 20. This is plain English, okay? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you are a husband or a wife, a parent or a grandparent, you are quite aware that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, discipline and anger are two different things and we love to package them together. And what I want to say is you do not have to be angry to be a disciplinarian, okay? But the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So again, I said a few minutes ago that anger by itself is not a sin, but it can become a sin. So how do we know if our anger is sinful or not? Here's a couple of ways we can measure it. Okay, Ask yourself this. What's the purpose of your anger? Are you angry because of something that you care about was violated? Or something that God cares about is violated? If we're If we're honest with ourselves, most of the time that we're angry, it's because we have pride, and someone has violated something that compromises our pride. Alright? Our reputation, our testimony, or even something that we think is right that someone says is wrong, and all we want to do is prove our point and make our case, and then anger comes, and that type of anger is not going to produce righteousness. We're not going to hear God speak when we respond in that kind of anger. So that's the, asking the purpose of our anger. How are we showing our anger? Alright? When you respond to somebody in anger, Are you doing something that you would not do in front of Jesus if He was here? I love asking that question. Are you speaking to someone or responding to someone in such a way that you would not do it if Jesus was standing right in front of you. Remember, Jesus got angry too. We talked about this when we walked through this in, in Jonah. We talked about the time in the Gospels where we see Jesus storming into the temple and flipping over the tables of the money changers and letting all the animals out into the streets because they had turned the house of worship into a trade market. He got angry not because of anything done to him, but because his father's house was violated. That's called righteous. Anger or righteous indignation. But we don't usually get angry because because people are dying of hunger or because people are not hearing the Gospel. We get angry because someone tells us we're wrong about something. And Listen, I'd be the biggest hypocrite in this room if I didn't tell you. It's a struggle of mine. I ask God to help and He's helping and I'm still learning and still growing and still sinning and still struggling with that. It's not easy when people completely contradict what you're saying or don't want to agree with what you're saying or can't see things your way if you would only see it from my perspective God help us all of us because we struggle with this and when we are acting that way we don't hear God speak okay what finally what's the desired result of our anger what are we hoping to accomplish I think we're hoping that people will see things the way that that we see them but That's not exactly how it works. Unrighteous responses do not bring righteous results. Okay? I want to give you a perfect example of these two things before we move on to our third and final point. If you're a note taker, just write down Galatians 5, 19-24. Alright, because I'm going to read that whole passage, but I'm I'm going to contrast these two things so that we see someone who is not hearing the Word of God versus someone who does hear the Word of God, okay? So the works of the flesh against the fruits of the Spirit... All right. Starting with Galatians chapter five, verses 19 through 21, say this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impure, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. One of the words in there was fits of anger. A constant response to the world of anger. God says you will not inherit His kingdom if that's the type of person that you are because you're not living by the Spirit, you're living by the flesh. You're never going to hear God speak when that's how you respond to the ways of the world. Now, what I love about Paul? He gives us the darkness and then he sheds the light. All right, You want to be somebody who hears God speak? Then we live according to the fruits of the Spirit, which are the next three verses. Uh, Galatians 5, 23, and 24 say this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And these last two, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know what the end of that verse means? Here's what it means. As a human being, you have a natural desire to respond to people who disagree with you or disrespect you to get angry. Some of your anger is screaming. For others, you have mastered the art of sarcasm. Sarcasm is that knife that gets the right spot at the right time and just... mm, you know, and you know, the greatest display of this is Facebook. Facebook puts in print what we all believe in our hearts and minds when we're not honoring God. I mean, if you want to know what human nature is all about, just read Facebook. The praising of God and the cussing of the people made in the image of God, all on one page. And all of us, I'm not saying all of us are guilty of putting things on Facebook, but all of us are guilty of responding in life in certain ways that just don't honor God, and I want to say, it's that nature within us that wants to exalt ourselves, and wants to to completely put down anything that disrespects or disbelieves what it is that we believe. All right, why does that happen? I mean, just take, uh, and I'm not getting into politics, but I will say during election time. The constant back and forth, I don't care what your belief is. What's the purpose of constantly writing over and over and over and over all these political things? Because you're trying to exert what you believe and put down what others believe. Well, I don't think that's helpful. I don't think anyone's logging on to Facebook and saying, man, I've properly been educated. Now I know the truth. And the truth has set me free. That has never been the response of someone who's gotten on Facebook to read your political views. And I'm not even just picking on politics. It could be anything. The fact of the matter is, it says here in these passages in Galatians 5 that we've got to put to death the flesh with its passions and desires. I'm not casting stones. I struggle with the same thing. I do. I struggle with... You know, I, there's certain things that, oh my goodness, just make me want to pull my hair out and I realize it's sin. As as a pastor, you know, I've been, I've been studying theology and studying how to be a pastor and studying church government and administration and how to do this and how to do this. And I've spent seven years in classrooms with pastors who've been doing it 30 and 40 years. I've taken tests, written essays. I mean, I've done everything I can to best prepare. And when somebody comes into my office to give a suggestion on how I should be a better pastor when they had never read the Bible, I lose my mind. But can I be honest with you? Can I be honest with you? That's sin on my part. I admit to you that I'm wrong. Because even if what they're saying doesn't have spiritual or biblical roots, the way I respond shows where my heart is. Because if I trust in God, I don't need to stick my chest out and give them a biblical response. I need to just lift it up to the Lord and say, God, I'm really struggling with this, this, this desire to, to seek my own vengeance here or to make my own point, but God, don't let me do that. You do that in your time and in your way. Putting to death the sinful nature of the flesh that wants to stick our own chest out and say, God, not my will, but Yours be done. That that doesn't happen once. That's a constant re-crucifying of your flesh. That's why we confess our sins every single week. And let me say before we move on to our third and final point, if if you're in a battle right now, maybe it's a person in your life, Okay. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker, Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe you're angry because of a battle where you just can't get the other person to see things your way. Can I tell you something? God is the only one who can change your heart and change their heart. What you say will not change their heart. It won't. Only God can do that. And when we have a heart of God, change my heart first before you change theirs that's when we're going to hear God speak. God says that person is ready to hear what I have to say because when they hear it, they're going to do it. That's how we hear God speak. So we've talked about the habits of one who hears God's Word. We've talked about the hindrance of one who hears God's Word. Let's close it out with number three. Let's look at the heart of one who hears God's Word. Look at verse 21 with me. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. One thing that James does in this book is the same thing that Paul's talking about in several other books of the New Testament. This is how I know that the Bible is inspired of God because different writers attack it in different ways, but God's revealing to us that when you're a Christian, there are things that you put off and things that you put on. Things that you stop doing and things that you start doing. And if you're a Christian, you play an active role in this. You're constantly putting off and putting on. Stopping and starting. Not doing and doing. My fear for Christians, specifically Southern Baptists, because that's most of us in this room, we're so driven towards evangelism, and we should be, to see souls saved, that we think that when they come down the aisle and they pray the prayer and they become a Christian, we think that's the end of the race, but it's the beginning. It's the beginning of the race. And my prayer would be, if you're a believer, I don't care how many years you've been in church, I pray that this message would show us that we never stop actively participating in the working out of our salvation. We can't save ourselves. Okay, that's a work of God. We're sealed in the Holy Spirit so we can't lose it. If you didn't earn it, you can't lose what you didn't earn. But if you're a Christian, it's a constant lifelong process where the Spirit is changing you to make you more like Jesus. You play an active role in that through prayer. You play an active role in that through the reading of the Word. You play an active role in that through repentance and faith, asking God to forgive you and turning away from the things that don't please Him and running towards the things that do. All right? He says this over and over and over again. I'll give you just two passages for your note taker. Ephesians 4:20 through 20 through 24 and Colossians 3, eight through 10. Okay? Listen to Ephesians 4:22 through 24. It says, "Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and its corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness." And holiness, okay? Colossians chapter 3, 8 through 10 say this. But now you must put them all away, okay? Anger, surprise, surprise. Wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of, his, of its creator. So here's what James is saying and Paul's saying the same thing. You're taking off the old life and you're crucifying it over and over and over again. God, I don't want to be a person of anger. God, I don't want to be a gossiper. God, I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to be a slanderer. I don't want to spend all my day trying to defend myself. I'm not going to seek my own vengeance. Forgive me for the desires I have to go out and defend myself. I give it to you. God, help me, help me, help me. God, give to me the fruits of the Spirit. Help me to be a man or a woman of love and of joy and of peace and of patience and of kindness and of goodness and of faithfulness and of self-control. Father, as I take off the old, I put on the new. I take off the old, I put on the new. You, We are called to do this every week of our lives. And the ones that do, hear God. The ones that do are changed. I've read biographies of these giants of the Christian faith. And what they have in common, we talked about this in our men's Bible study on Thursday morning. What they have in common is they get up every morning and they re-surrender their lives to Christ. They kiss their wife, roll over on the other side of the bed, get on the floor on their knees, and they re-surrender it to God. They give it back to Him again. God, I give You control of my life. And when God sees that, He says, there's a person that when they hear Me, they're going to do what I ask them to do. Therefore, I will make sure they hear My Word. I want to be one of those people. We've all been in the presence of one of those people and you say, wow, that person is just bulletproof. They don't get shaken by the things of the world. They're not thrown off course. They're, they're solid. They're unwavering. Their marriage is built on granite. That's the type of person that I want to be. If we want to be that type of person and let God speak to us, we've got to participate in that. We've got to take off the old and and put on the new. We've got to have the heart of one who hears God's Word. I'll just say this as we wrap up. In that passage, it talks about meekness. That meekness is that surrender and that that self-denial. It says, God, my life is not mine. It's yours. It's not mine. It's all yours. And the implanted Word that can save your souls. Let me just say this. In the book of Jeremiah, okay? Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. This is still in the Old Testament. God makes a prophecy. He says, the law that I've given to man is written on cold stone tablets, but one day I'll make a new covenant and the law will be written on your heart. And that's what God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. We do have a printed Bible. But God through the Holy Spirit has also written the law in our hearts so that when we follow the Spirit, we know as we're being Spirit-led of what we're supposed to do and not what not to do. We're not out in the wilderness like a bunch of Israelites looking for for water and manna. We have all that we need in the Word written, but also the Word spoken to us through the Holy Spirit. It's in you if you're a Christian. And you can hear it if you surrender to it. And it says to save your souls that particular context does not mean for, for for Christians that you get resaved. Okay, once you're saved, you are saved. You're sealed in the Holy Spirit. What that passage means is the working out of your salvation, the ultimate goal of you becoming more and more like Jesus. So, how do I sum all this up as we get ready to pray out? Well, I would say this: open ears cautious mouths and surrendered hearts will lead us to be hearers of God's word as we imitate God's son remember the goal is a person the goal is not just an award although we want to hear God say well done that good and faithful servant at the end of our lives the goal of your life is to be like and be with Jesus Christ who's the example that we have it's our lord and savior Who's the one that was quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry? It's Jesus. Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. If you read the stories of the Gospels, yes, Jesus preaches and yes, Jesus heals. But when he engages sinners, what does he do? He asks them questions and he listens to them. All right. Jesus is not one that's always running at the mouth. People are begging him to speak because he is quick to hear. He is slow to speak. And He's slow to become angry. He was angry at certain moments within the Gospels, but we also know that He was very slow to anger and very patient with people. And He's the ultimate goal for all of us that we'll be more like Jesus Christ. That's the calling on our lives. So what are our takeaways here? Well, if we want to be one who hears, we got to remember these three things. Okay, You see them in your listening guides. First, listen up. God wants to speak. He wants to speak. He wants you to know His Word. Second, quiet down. Give God the opportunity to speak. Create silence. Get rid of the distraction. Hide the remote control. Turn off the phone. Sometime in your day or your week, give it to God. Let Him speak. The the, the noise of this world is drowning His voice out. And then finally, be receptive. Believe what God says and obey. If you're not willing to do what God says, then why should we be willing to ask Him to speak? But when we do what He says, He's ready to speak and He will tell us what He wants us to do. We're going to enter into invitation at this time and here's what I want to say. I believe many of you in this room have given your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and you're truly born-again Christians. But I also believe there's probably aspects of your life at this very moment that you're still holding on to. And because of that, because you're not willing to re-surrender every day, you're not hearing God the way that God intends for you to hear Him. And maybe there's some of you, maybe there's even one of you in this room. I'm not saying you've never been to church. Maybe there's someone in this room that's never been to church. But I'm not saying how often you've been to church. I'm not saying if you've read a Bible. I'm not even saying if you've prayed a prayer. What I am saying is there are, there are some people in this room right now who've never been saved. You have not never he- heard God speak because you don't have God's Spirit. The Bible says that we are to be saved. That we are to confess. Mark In the, in the Gospel of Mark, in the very beginning when they're following Jesus, He says, Repent believe the good news and follow me have you turned away from your sin have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and are you willing to follow him if, if if that's never happened i pray today is that day god wants to save you and he wants to speak to you the question is are you listening let us pray heavenly father We love You. Father, we uh, thank You and praise You for the day that You have made. And Father, we confess that we are sinners who have a corrupted flesh that rebels against hearing Your voice and then doing what we're supposed to do once we do hear it. Father, I pray that you, You just have mercy upon us. Please forgive us. Forgive us where we've fallen short. Forgive us where we are wanting to take control of our own lives instead of handing it back over to You. Father, if there's anybody in this room who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and is buried in sinful flesh, I pray that You would remove the heart of stone and replace it with a flesh-beating heart that is covered in the blood of Your Son and the power of Your Spirit. Father, I pray that salvation would come to this house today. Father, please bless the reading of Your Word and let us be hearers of Your Word as well so that we would be doers that bring honor and glory to Your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, Amen.